Once again, for another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast, this is Barnsley, and this one is episode four, part two. So, for a quick recap before we get into it, part one, I had Andrew Scanlon, aka Cowboy, on, and we spoke about the North Queensland Cowboys prospects for the 2022 NRL season, and all their Supercoach options. It was a really good chat, there was a lot of really interesting options for the Cowboys discussion. Moving on to part two of episode four, me and Andrew discuss the Gold Coast Titans and their prospects for 2022. Bit of a different chat, a few pretty big options for the Gold Coast Titans to consider. So let's get straight into that one, part two of episode four. Before we move on to the Titans, I do need to mention the All-Stars podcast sponsor in Top Sport. Top Sport are a fantastic bookie, 100% Australian-owned, 100% Australian-based as well. They often have best odds in the market too. So love having them as a sponsor of the All-Stars podcast because I love betting with them myself. But if you are going to have a bet, as always, do it responsibly. But if you're interested in Top Sport, make sure that you use our promo code. The promo code for this podcast is SC All-Stars, all one word. If you throw that in there when you create an account with Top Sport today, they'll make sure they take great care of you because they'll see straight away that you're one of the the All-Stars listeners. And whether you want to get onto the NRL, they've got massive futures markets up there now with great odds at the moment. But NBA is well underway. We've got two weeks out from the Super Bowl now in the NFL. They've got fantastic markets on that, including player props. Top Sport's really got it all and often best odds in market. So www.topsport.com.au, you can jump on there, give them a bet, open an account with SC All-Stars and away you go. Now let's talk about the Gold Coast Titans, Andrew. The Titans are a team that did make the top eight last year and funnily enough, we're the most successful Queensland team. So (laughs) I don't know how many people picked that pre-season, but um, they finished at eight spot, uh, 10 wins, and their four four and against was almost dead even, minus three. They were a team that I think probably finished around about where people thought they were going to finish. Uh, I think that's pretty fair to say. When we're having a look at their season, I think it's really all about David Fafita, isn't it? Like Fafita just had an amazing season and we're obviously going to talk about him. But when we're talking about the Titans' success, I would say that making the top eight was successful for them. And guys like Fafita were one of the top attacking forwards in the NRL. So certainly that was a big part of it. But other guys sort of stepped up a little bit, like Brimson at times um, and some other guys that, were a bit younger that we weren't even really looking at too much, like Jaden Campbell, who really came through. So I think it was, in a lot of ways, a fairly successful year for the Gold Coast Titans in 2021. Yeah, it certainly was. And, and the Titans are certainly a team we can look at in higher regard than the the pre-2021 era. And I think some people overlook this. Um, a fairly solid team on paper as well. Argu- like arguably the best Queensland team um, last year. Uh, Honestly, it's no big feat to be the the top Queensland team, but good on them. I mean, they're usually a, a bottom of the table team, um, so it's a definitely a ch- an achievement for them. Um, they seem to be adapting quite well with the increased speed of the game. The fact they have a young, speedy spine is a massive advantage for this. Um, arguably, one of the better forward packs in the game, in my opinion. Um, but I'm a little worried this season how Aaron Clark will direct the team around the park. Um, they showed a lot of promise last year, and I think they'll find themselves finishing in that in that bottom portion of the eight once again. Yeah, I, look, I think they're probably going to be in that eight to 
10 range, seven to 10 range, maybe a little bit lower, uh, but that's kind of where I see them as well. It's it's hard because it's sort of a fringe top eight team and I'm not sure that they've gotten too much better. So when we're having a look at the uh, gains and losses for them, Tyrone Peachy moved on. Yeah, that's something, but it's not huge for them. Mitch Rain isn't significant as a player, but it does mean that they've got a whole lot of hooker, like you mentioned, Andrew. And Jamal Fogarty went over to the Raiders, which means we're going to have a new halves combo. Anthony Dawn, greatest try scorer ever for the Gold Coast Titans, <laughs> retires. So a bit of a cult favourite going. Uh, then, you know, it's not huge with the losses, but there's certainly a couple of those guys that are contributors. When you have a look at who they've gotten in, you know, Aaron Booth uh, has come in and he's potentially not going to play until he's upgraded in, into the, the full-time squad, I believe. Uh, Isaac Liu, I think, is a really underrated signing, and I say that with my Roosters hat well and truly on, but he was a staple of the Roosters the last decade, and he really was a really solid player that every Ford pack needs, you know, pretty undervalued. So I think he's, he's, he's a pretty good signing. Will Smith as well, you know, pretty handy guy that can play multiple positions and step in. So I especially like the the Leo the Will Smith signing and Aaron Booth possibly as a young guy that could come through. Uh, Paul Turner from the New Zealand Warriors is um, is coming through as well a bit later on. The losses, I guess, are going to probably outweigh what they've brought in, uh, and that's going to be a little bit of a concern. It's also going to mean that their spine is going to be a little bit different. So, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it because they some of those guys might be better this year, Andrew, but their roster might be a little bit worse and the competition might be a bit stiffer. So I guess that's why I've got them in that sort of 7 to 11 type of range um, and they could miss the, the, the top eight. But, yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to prove on last year, put it that way. Yeah, that was actually my thoughts exactly, mate. They probably won't improve from last season. I suppose the exciting thing about the Titans this season is their young spine in my eyes. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing them. As, as far as the people that brought into their club and, and people that, Got they got rid of nothing really significant. Um, I do like the Isaac Lee signing as well. Besides that, mate, like yeah, no, nothing really too exciting. Kind of in the same ballpark as the Cowboys, to be honest. So, like be that as it may, I I am really looking forward to watching the uh, Titans play this season. Yeah, so I mean, when we're having a look at the Gold Coast Titans from a Super Coach perspective, everybody's just waiting for us to talk about this man. So let's just get straight to the point. Let's get it done and dust today. Eh? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they've got a few guns that we're going to talk about. We're actually going to talk about three guns for the Titans, but the first guy is obviously going to be Fafita. Now, David Fafita had a phenomenal season, and it's almost to his detriment when you're talking about him for Supercoach because when when I looked at the numbers, the first thing that came to mind was how can he possibly back this up? (laughs) You know, like, I want want what he did in 2021, but how can he possibly do this in 2022? (laughs) So, I mean, the tale of the tape is he... Actually, only played 66 minutes a game in 2021, and he scored 85 points a game. That was a PPM of 1.29, which is amazing. The year before, he averaged 10 minutes a game more, but only scored 64 points a game. So 21 points a game less. Obviously, he's matured as a player, but when you're unraveling his stats from the year, it's startling. You know, in 21 games that he played, 17 tries. So 25% of the time, he turned up and just that crazy PPM and only four games were sub 60. So, you know, his first in tackle breaks in the NRL as well, 155, which is actually more than seven tackle breaks per game. And obviously he's got a fantastic offload as well with a couple of those a game as well. So 
his 38 raw base is probably the only thing that you can nitpick at, but it's probably pretty average for an edge back rower that's only playing 66 minutes a game. A lot of pros and cons with David Fafita, Andrew. So I'm I'm torn. I don't think you can go wrong with doing it. Okay, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like it's it's gonna be wrong in any way. If you want to start with David Fafita, you start with David Fafita. Uh, if you don't want to, or you're worried, there is a few small reasons to worry. I think as well. Seven hundred forty-five thousand for me when I'm looking at my team, it basically means I'm going to have two gun second rowers or one gun second row in for feeder and a mid-ranger, you know, like a Luki or something. That's kind of the difference. And that's a little bit scary at his price point. Uh, if you got what you paid for from last year, you'd be elated. But that's the other risk, Andrew, isn't it? Like, how can you possibly score a couple of hat tricks as a second row forward again? How can you have every fourth game turning up, basically? How can you have 17 tries out of 21 games? You know, I'm sure that the, the tackle breaks and offloads, the base base attack's going to be there. You know, he's going to score 55 to 60 in his sleep. And that's why it's one of the great things as a try scoring forward. You kind of think with traditionally the, the top try scoring forwards in Supercoach, it's a worry what their what their floor is going to be. With him, he only had four games that were sub-60, you know, which is amazing. So he's he's always going to give you a good score. I'm just, I guess you could worry a little bit, Andrew, that he can't replicate the clutch attack that he had last year. The upside, though, what if he plays 80 minutes a game? <laughs> Maybe he averages 100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And, and honestly, he's kind of like um, Chuboyevich, isn't he? Like, how can these guys replicate their 2021 season? It's just crazy when, when they've had such a phenomenal season. Um the Fafita situation for me is quite amusing. I've I've been trying to convince myself that my team could survive without a 745k edge forward um, because I could use that coin beefing up other positions. Um, not to mention his base isn't anything special, to be honest. Um, it's actually a concern considering his price. Um, I try to focus on those weeks last season where he disappointed me with those 30-point games and even those other games where he was on 30-odd points with less than 20 minutes to go. And then he kind of saved himself with a 30-point play or a couple of line break tackle bus combos. Um, but in the end, mate, I couldn't help myself um, just think about that high percentage of games where he made 80 points look effortless. Um, and let's not forget um, that this guy managed to maintain an 85-point-per-game average by season's end, um, even though he spent the last 10 rounds of the season playing 55 minutes. Um, to add to this, it's not like the Titans have a difficult start to the season either. So, of course, that increases his attacking potential. Um, the cons, I guess, a concern with Fafita is the new halves pairing may affect his involvement. Um, one could easily argue that it won't be affected at all because he's a guy that can create his own attacking plays. Um, but on the flip side... If he isn't given those opportunities, um, then his points per game um, could be slightly affected, which is a big deal for a guy costing 745k. And um, but look, let's not forget he should be a solid vice or captain choice uh, for a high percentage of his games for the first two thirds of the season. So um, look, don't pick him at your own risk. He's been in and out, in and out, in and out of my team. It's it, it is really it is really yeah. a hard one um, <laughs> because. Even if we, even if I were to say that those clutch attack numbers are going to digress, and when I'm talking about clutch attack, I'm talking about scoring tries, line breaks, try assists. You know, I can see that regressing. But even if it does, if he gets an extra 14 minutes a game, 
that should counter that and you still end up with an 80-85 average. And even if he drops five points and is an 80 average, I'd still be pretty happy with that. So, look, I think he's great to start with. I don't think you're crazy for letting him go. He's certainly not a must-have from round one, but it's scary not having him. And when we talk about strategies on these podcasts, one of the big ones from last year was pick those high upside players, you know, those guys that have the ability to get you 150 points is big. He did that a couple of times last year. You know, he, he scored 51 points just in try scoring points without the line breaks and, and tackle breaks even included <laughs> twice last year. It's nuts, isn't like, it, honestly? It's just yeah. crazy. So, look, he's someone that you have to consider, and if you don't put him in, you're going to be very, very scared. But you mentioned the draw. Like, that's something that's pretty important for him, I think, because of his try scoring. And it's pretty solid. Um, I will say, I think after the first... Um, Seven rounds, it gets it gets a bit harder again. They start off with the eels, and you know the eels traditionally against forwards. It's more middle forwards, but certainly against forwards, they aren't the best at containing. So that's not a bad option. Uh, the warriors, the raiders, the tigers. It's a pretty solid first month. They hit the eels again, then they hit the seagulls, which are going to be harder, and then the cowboys, who he's probably going to be a vice captaincy chance on, or even a captaincy chance depending on the other matchups. Then round eight and nine, though, they hit the Panthers and Roosters, which is going to be a brutal couple of weeks um, of games. And then they hit another really great run of Dragons, Sharks, Broncos. So I wouldn't say that they've got a phenomenal draw, but I, I wouldn't say it's bad at all. I'd probably say it's a bit above average. They do play in the first 10 rounds three top sides. And, you know, whether the Eels manage to kind of get up there is debatable. But between the Eels, Seagulls, Panthers and Roosters, you know, they might have... Definitely three top four sides there, I would say. But then they've got the other ones that are pretty good and the Eels might give up points. So, you know, the draw is almost a mirror image of considering for feeder, isn't it? Like, mm. you can talk yourself into it being good. You can talk yourself into it not being that good. It's just, and it's really hard to make a decision. And this is super coach in a nutshell. I, I really <laughs> have always said it's not black and white. It's very gray. And there is no black and white answer with this, with David Fafita or the Titans draw. You know, it neither would surprise me, but I'd be very scared if I leave him out of my side. Yeah, totally nailed it, mate. And um, I suppose with players like Fafita with a draw like that, um, I suppose it, it is really important to point out that you can use them as a vice or a captain so many times throughout those two uh, first two months. So, um, and I agree with you too. It's, it's not a, um, if you whether you leave him in your team or outside of your team as part of your starting team, it's not a it's not the wrong thing. It's not the right thing as well. Go with your gut. That's, that's pretty much all I can recommend. Yeah, I I think that I think so. Look, if it wasn't for his price point, I think it would be a really easy decision. Like even if it was fifty k less uh, for round one, that's pretty important. But at almost seven hundred fifty thousand, it's just it really hampers the rest of your Ford pack purchases that you can make. Um, and I think that's the, the biggest thing that makes it hard. But he's priced that much for a reason. I don't think there's much downside. He's he's going to score. You know, if he has a bad start to the year, he's still going to average 70-plus for that couple of months. You know, you're not going to get bad scores out of him, I don't think. So, yeah, definitely consideration. To finish up on Fafida, um, I'm just going to say that Holbrook is absolutely crazy, and he was taking pages from the Todd Payton handbook of coaching by putting Fafita on the bench. Like, oh, he's your best player. Your best player, and you, he's an 80-minute edge, and he's a young guy that's fit and he's fine, and you're going to throw him on the bench. Absolutely crazy for the last 10 games of the season, and he kept persisting with it. 
Now, there was rumours in this off-season or it was even spoken about that Fafita was injured. I think he mentioned it even himself. Maybe that's the reason. So maybe it's more reassuring that he's going to get the 80 minutes. But can you see any realm of possibility where he isn't an 80-minute starter come round one? Because if, if, if he's not playing 80 minutes and at that price tag, that's a worry for me because, you know, we didn't have that for the first two-thirds of the season. And then the back third, we had that off-the-bench stuff that was a real worry. Yeah, exactly. Um, mate, unless Holbrook loses the plot completely, I, I really can't see Fafita not playing 80 minutes. He should he should be, shouldn't he? Like, honestly, as soon as um, those first opening rounds of the season, he should be playing full games. Um, that's It is a bit scary at the back end of last season that he wasn't playing those full games, and now we're leading into the, the following season. So what exactly does that mean for Fafita? Um, and it's actually a good argument. Um, for not not to pick him in your starting side, isn't it? That's 745k you could be distributing elsewhere. Um, and it's a little bit scary. But look, in my opinion, he'll play 80 minutes off the bat. Um, I can't say that with any confidence. But um, look, surely surely that's a thing for him. Um, Holbrook might lose the plot and <laughs> take some minutes off him. But no, mate, 80 minutes, surely. Uh, he should be playing 160. They should play him 80 minutes in, in second grade and then claim another cloning 80 minutes is a in thing. first grade. Like. Cloning is a thing. This is what people <laughs> need to invest in, and uh, that's what a footy players should do <laughs> for players like Jafita. <laughs> uh, he's absolutely crazy if he doesn't play him. But I, I said last year on a lot of the podcasts and also chatting to, to a lot of the guys, like Luke Garrity especially, you couldn't believe he, he was flabbergasted when he came on the podcast and Fafita would come in and play 58 minutes and stuff off the bench. We're saying the same thing, you know, like it's just, it is unbelievable that anyone could could look at playing someone like Fafita less minutes like that. But the worst thing that happened was the Titans were winning games and it's almost the worst type, it is the worst type of validation in football for me when you make a really poor decision as a coach and really stupid moves and things that are very clearly wrong but because the team gets a win because they're playing the team that's like last and they win by 30 points, you think it's all successful and it just carries on as this experiment. And unfortunately for the Titans, they had this draw where they kept getting wins and playing not very good teams. And Fafita was on the bench for those games. So there was this fallacy that, oh, yeah, well, it's working. Like, why would I change it? And like honestly, if they played like a few top eight teams in a row, you know, they would have gotten absolutely shellacked. And then all of a sudden it changes the Fafita narrative on the bench altogether, you know? So the success was almost the worst thing for Fafita's benching. Yeah, exactly. And let's not forget, they were fighting for a place in the eight. So throwing him onto the bench made no sense at all. And that, that's what makes me believe that there must have been some sort of niggling injury um, that concerned Holbrook and, and just, you know, made him want to preserve Fafita in a way. Because um, there's no way in hell you'd put your best player on the bench while you're fighting for a top eight position, is there? So, um, yeah, uh, besides injury, this, it wouldn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, look, David Fafita is probably going to be first in base, base attack again. Um, I expect the tries might go down, but uh, I'm probably I'm probably going to end up putting him back in my side after this podcast. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's move along because I don't, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore while he's not in my side. Mo Fodawaker. Now, Big Mo has gone back-to-back seasons of scoring exactly 60 points. The big thing in 2021, he did it playing less minutes. So 51 minutes in 2021 for his 60 points. Only got 58, he got 58 minutes in 2020 for his 60 points. So pretty big gap. Seven minutes down meant that he had his career-best PPM with a 45 raw base in his 51 minutes a game. He 
I thought looked like one of the the, the best middle forwards that the, the Gold Coast Titans had. And I was surprised that he had so many bench games. You know, he came off the bench like nine or ten times, like half of the season he was coming off the bench, which I, I just couldn't understand. The, the last sort of six weeks of the season, it seemed to even out and he seemed to be starting a fair bit again. But when we're having a look at this team, you know, when you look at their predicted lineup, it's it seems like that maybe finally Mo Fodawaka might get a bit more respect and might get some more minutes, but then you have a look at it and go, well, Jared Wallace is going to come off the bench. Um, Sam Lasoni might come off the bench as another front rower and Jolliffe as well. They're probably going to do it to Mo again. So whilst he's technically a gun at 60 plus, you know, we need to mention him because he's one of the Titans guns and I think he had a very good season. But as a 520k front row forward, he's well behind everyone else it's a 60 plus option probably more expensive than some of them as well and you can't really go near him but we need to give a shout out to Mo because I reckon that if he gets an extra five or six minutes a game he could be one of those guys that goes up to 67 68 becomes a bit of an elite front row forward option yeah surely and um look I'll, I'll be honest mate I don't really have much to to talk about when it comes to him he's a solid player he's a very vanilla player isn't he like you know, I mean you, you know what you're going to get out of him um and I, I do agree with you he's not really mm a relevant player when it comes to Supercoach unless those minutes increase. So I guess the best we can really do is to, to monitor his output through the opening rounds um, and, yeah, just, just keep an eye on him. So um, I, I did, I don't know, like he's one of those players that I thought about where I thought, well, look, you could put him in your team. Um, you kind of know what you're getting. So he's a safety pick, but I think his, his two, there's no upside to him. And as you said, there are better options around that price point in the front row forward position. So um, yeah, he's, he's a no for me, um, but definitely monitor. Yeah. A lot of forties and fifties in his scores, unfortunately. So I, I think for draft, he'll be late in drafts as a front row forward option. Um, you could have a look at him late in your draft, the final few rounds of the season, maybe if he could last until then, but he'll probably end up going a bit earlier on name value. Mate, you're, you're making me want to click on that draft option, I think, after this podcast, because I've, <laughs> I've never done it before, but yeah, I, I might try to get into that, eh? <laughs> I'll give, give draft a go, mate. You'll, you'll, you'll like it. It's, uh, it's definitely a completely different game than classic, so that's why I like it. But yeah, have a, have a go with draft this year. Yeah, nice. Um, Brimson's... Brimson's the other uh, gun for the Titans. He's someone who is fairly polarizing, I think, depending on who you talk to. There's certainly a, a camp that are big Brimson fans. He scored 61 points a game in 2021, and he did that across 18 games, which was good to see because he has had his injury problems. Uh, and he played there nine games in, in 2020 due to injury, but he scored 74 points a game. So, I mean, certainly last preseason, there was a big groundswell for Alex Brimson, that he was going to come in and, ha- and have a big year. Uh, and he was uh, one of those guys that you could potentially keep. But coming off 74, he dropped 13 points. I really didn't like him that much coming into last year. There were signs that he was going to have a lot of low scores. Uh, and that was certainly the case. Uh, his base wasn't fantastic. And he was playing fullback all of last year. And this is a big concern because, you know, playing fullback all of last year, he still scored 61 points a game. But it was a big drop-off from the year before, and we had a, a better sample size than the year before as well. Big deal is that he's projected to be in the halves. And as a matter of fact, it would be shocking if he isn't because Campbell's probably going to start at number one. He's averaged 39 points a game in 2020 in the halves, which was five games. In 2019, he had 11 games, and he averaged about 45 points. So it doesn't have any big scores at six, no tons. 
And really, that's that's a big concern with Brimson coming into this year. He does have the the five eight fullback dual status. Uh, a lot of people that are looking at him uh, are saying, well, you can throw him in it as a pod five eight, and he's certainly going to be a pod. He'll probably only be, well, I'd guess, four or five percent ownership maybe at five eight five hundred thirty three thousand. Pretty expensive pod to go for, which is a change in position for him. Uh, hasn't proved to be a good number six before. I certainly think, Andrew, that the number one jersey is what he's most suited to. It lets him run the ball, lets him get a bit more open space, get the tackle breaks up and everything else as well in his base base attack uh, that's not going to be there at the six jumper. So I really don't like him as a six. And I, I'm in the, the non-Brimson camp. I've never been a big fan of um, going for him as a pod. Mm. But they do have a few good games there. So maybe he can go off a bit early. Um, I tend to think it's going to take him a while to gel into that six spot and, and probably not be as potent there. Yeah, exactly. And we do need to wait and see with, with Brimson. He's an outstanding player, isn't he? He, he really is solid. But um, the, the reality is, like, he's, he's used to playing at fullback and now we've got a positional change and he costs 534k. So that is a massive risk. Um, I, like, obviously, no one's going to be picking Brimson with confidence. It's it's more going to be a, a risky a risky choice, um, like, despite the opening draw and DPP status. Um Honestly, 534K is a lot to pay for a bloke that hasn't had a decent taste of even being in the halves since the 2019 season. And and even then, he played bugger all games in that position and he produced a very poor output. So I can't really see him being relevant. Um, he may be later on in the season, but certainly not preseason. Um, now, there's two reasons Brimson may become relevant in the 2022 season. The first being if he comes out of the gates looking confident and being an absolute beast. Um, and even then, he would need to do something pretty spectacular. Um, the other and the more likely scenario is if his um, uh, price compared to his output is appealing prior to the buy period. So the Titans draw through the buy period is actually quite favourable. And obviously, he'll be around 13 number. Um, I'll certainly be monitoring Brimson's output compared to his price, um, maybe around that round 10 mark. Yeah, so round 10 to 13 in that big buy, they've got the Dragons, the Sharks, the Broncos and the Cowboys. And that is a phenomenal four-game stretch where you could get someone in, play him in round 13 from the Titans. It's not going to be in the origin camp. There is always a chance that Brimson's going to be in origin, though, potentially, depending on how they make up that team. Um, so yeah, it might depend on injury and stuff, but he's certainly thereabouts. I, I think that targeting Titans around that mark that you're not going to have at the start is, is a very good idea, though. But certainly Brimson isn't on my radar, um, but is a very good player. Wouldn't surprise me if he has some big games. But we mentioned this guy before, Jaden Campbell. Let's talk about him. This is our rising gun list. And Campbell's right at the top of it, you know. And mm. Campbell, I think, was overshadowed by Brimson in that, you know, the years prior, it was all about getting a full season out of Brimson at the number one jersey. And then certainly Campbell was behind him. And even when he came into grade, like I saw him play his first game and thought, yeah, he looks like Preston Campbell's son. Like he's, he's a bit taller, but he's very small. Uh, he's a very, very small kid. And he's going to really struggle. Mm. But he was just such a good attacking player that it didn't matter. And you could really see it, you know, in some of those games. He finished last season with a 110 score where he scored a double. And I I thought that he looked, you know, he only played the half a dozen games, but I thought he looked better for the run by his last couple of games of the season. Mm. And he didn't actually have any bad scores, which I found really intriguing too. You know, six games, he had 48, 47, 60, 64, 53 and 110. 
yeah, he, he had some pretty good scores. 64 average across those six games. Um, I really like the look of him towards the end of the season. You'd assume that he's probably going to be better for the run and he's got that fullback jersey now. So pretty interesting, but he's 502,000, which is just crazy. The fact that he's fullback only is even worse. You're kind of hoping that somehow he was in, ended up as a centre wing, but it's not going to happen. Now, <laughs> you, you can't consider him as a fullback, okay? He is a rising gun, though, and he is someone who I think is, is going to be a gun this year. You know, he's going to average 60-something this year, mm-hmm. and it's going to be very relevant for draft. So I'm going to say, Andrew, obviously you can't put him in that fullback spot for round one in classic. Uh, round 13 could be interesting because you could look at him for that run, if, um, especially if a Turbo or Teddy or a Papa hurt. You could trade out in that like, round 10, have Campbell in there for that round 13 buy, and he could go on a great run for you uh, in draft. I reckon that you can get him at value because I think that he is actually going to prove himself to be a really good NRL fullback this year. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, nice. Um, like, yeah, obviously, as far as classic, um, my my specialty, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, it's a shame that he's only available at fullback because, um, honestly, he's such a promising player. Um, he's an amazing player. Uh, look, it, it was understandable that the, um, he took a little bit to, to kind of um, get a move on, um, which is, you know, for a young kid, that's expected. Um, managed to scrape together... A- game against Melbourne, which I thought was very promising as well. So, um, But that 64-point average from six games last season, um, all of which at fullback, um, great stats. And, you know, we've got a lot to look forward to when it comes to Jaden Campbell. I'm really looking forward to him playing. Uh, I might target him sort of the mid to late rounds and drafts potentially and, um, and try and go for upside with that. Another rising gun that is actually a lot more relevant and a lot more popular is Toby Sexton. Now, I'm going to say this guy's another one that's a bit polarising because there's um, other podcasts that are all over him um, and then other ones that are sort of a little bit standoffish. Uh, I know, you know, shout out to the the Dual Position podcast and Supercoach Whisperer. That's like one of his favourite pies for this year, it seems. And I understand why, you know, he's going to be in the halves. He's going to have the job solidified. He only played the four games last year. And in his four games, he managed to average 62 points a game, which is pretty good to start your NRL career. You know, he it's 62 points a game in your first four games is nothing to sneeze at from a super coach perspective. I'm going to say outright, though, that I'm very dubious about starting with him because, to me, the, the four games is a, a very small sample size. I don't think that we know what type of player he is going to be yet, but 435,000 as well. You know, there's two trains of thought with that. Some people think that it's it's cheap, Oh, I tend to think it's actually not not cheap for a guy that we've only seen four games from to pay 435k for. Uh, I just think that there's other halfback options I'd rather go. You know, I'd kind of, in my halves, rather go down from Toby Sexton's price tag or up 100k to get someone a lot better. Uh, I, I'm not sold that he's going to be a 60-plus sort of guy because we haven't really seen it yet. And it is a spine that is shouting out for for someone like him to step up. But at the same time, maybe that's Jaden Campbell that we just spoke about. You know, I think Campbell is a better player and he's in that spine. I think the Brimson going into the halves is going to use the ball a lot and going to get the ball over Toby Sexton, especially in attacking positions. And then Fafita's just going to get the ball shuffled onto him as well. So funny thing with Fafita as well is that only four of his tries were assisted by half. So it's not like Sexton's going to get a heap going to Fafita either. Fafita's going to create his own thing on that side, which is the type of player he is. He's just going to create his own tries and his own line breaks. 
Yeah, I, I understand why people are looking at Sexton because the halves this year are a big problem, Andrew. And he did score 62 points a game in a limited sample size last year. Showed some promise, had a 25 base, which is decent for a, a small half. But 435K, I, I just don't see it for round one for me. But there's a lot of people that are really keen on him. Yeah, that's fair, mate. Yeah. Um, look, I can see both sides of, of the coin as well. He's certainly a risk-reward player to start the season. Um, obviously comes with a few pros and cons. Um, I, could, I guess we could easily justify the Sexton decision with the Titans opening draw. Um, that extra number for round 13 as well, if you can afford to sit him outside to 17 for a few games prior to the buy period. Um, and obviously that 62-point average um, when costing 434k. Um, look, as you said, we only have that four-game sample last year. Um, he only had the one decent opponent that he came up against, which was the Bunnies. Um, he only produced 32 points from 80 minutes there. Um, honestly, he'll fit right into those coaches who are running another solid halfback, in my opinion. Um, and it's it, like it's just simply too risky to rely on this guy to score well against those difficult opponents. Um, but to rely on Sexton as your sole halfback is too risky for my liking. Yeah, I, I don't you could do him as your sole halfback. I mean, when you're having a look at where he's priced, uh, and I know that I'll, I'll cop some heat for this from some people, but <laughs> Shaw Johnson is about $30,000 more, not even me, closer to 25000 And if he's goal-kicking for the Warriors, the Warriors have got a better draw and he's goal-kicking, you know, if he's goal-kicking, I'm saying. You know, so that looks a lot better to me. Uh, as an option, and that's a pretty similar type of price tag. I'll spend the extra money on on Johnson over Sexton as well, mate. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got about ninety thousand to go to Kiri. I spoke about Kiri last week. Uh, I wasn't huge on Kiri, but I do think that he's a better option than Sexton, even at hundred k more. I'd rather just spend hundred k more on a good Roosters draw and have Luke Kiri than what I would Sexton. So I mean, that's a couple of examples of one around the price point and one a bit above. Uh, and then you can look at the guys that are below, even if you really wanted to. Um, this, obviously, if you're looking at him as a second, a second halfback, which you should be, like Andrew said, Jackson Hastings' goal kicking for the Tigers is going to be like 90k less than what he is. If you're looking for someone to maybe score some early points and make money, yeah, at least he's got the goal kicking there, and he's ninety thousand dollars less, so it's easier to make cash with. And if you've already got two sixes lined up, then you really should have. Young Lachlan Elias says your second half back anyway from the Bunnies because he's 205k and going to be starting. So I, I just don't see where Sexton fits in for me. I'm going to throw a caveat out there. It's going to look like I'm covering my ass, but I guess I'm kind of. <laughs> uh, we, we have only seen four games, which is a curse for him, but it also you know might mean that we don't know how good he is. So I'm not going to rule out that he comes out and he plays really well and he's developed his game and he's a young guy and he's a lot better than what we know and he improves. That happens. But why am I going to risk that in round one when there's other options around that I know what I'm getting? Um, that's that's my issue with it. So certainly if he does that, I'm not going to be surprised. I'll just look at buying him a few rounds in if he looks that good. Uh, but I think chances are, I, I don't think that he will. I think that he'll be solid, but he's probably not going to be a, a 62 plus type of guy early on at least with the new spine, completely new spine. Um, and I'd say for the year, you know, there's there's probably some other guys I'd rather hold for sort of a couple of months up until that buy if I'm going to have to play them. So, yeah, I, I'm obviously not on Sexton hugely. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear, Andrew. <laughs> obviously, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, look, I, I wouldn't talk anyone. I wouldn't say to anyone you're making a massive mistake. Uh, but I do think there's better options. So, let's talk about a big balls pod now. 
Brian Kelly is a guy who last preseason was the hot center wing pod option for everyone. Getting talked about a lot because he had some really nice base base attack as well as his raw base combined meant that he was scoring in the 40s. And that was all fantastic. But he was kind of disappointing. Um, he came in and scored 59 points a game, which wasn't even the, the old school gun status of 60 plus. He only went 60 plus about 52% of the time, which is okay for a center wing. But the big thing is when you're looking at his scores last five years, he's got 45, 45, 55, 56, 59. And that's the real key. The last three years, there hasn't been a huge amount of variance in his game. Um, so I think that the I think that all of the talk for him that was positive last preseason has well and truly worn off. I don't think many people are looking at him at all. He did have a number of scores in the 90s, which was promising. So when you have a look at his numbers, you sort of go, okay, well, he doesn't really go that big. He doesn't have any tons. But he did have four scores in the 90s. And four scores out of 21 in the 90s is pretty positive. And 52% of the time going 60-plus isn't bad for his centre wing. Uh, and he is a guy that didn't score a try until his sixth game of the year as well. So then he went on a bit of a run and he scored a lot better. So also has a, a bit of a decent draw early on too. Now, I've said the whole time on these preseason episodes, Andrew, your centre wing, you're probably going to build with one foundation guy that you're going to spend a bit of cash on, uh, or maybe even two, depending on your strategy in your team build. Uh, he's one of those guys that's going to be a consideration. He does play the first buy too, so you've got that added benefit of throwing him in. He's not going to play Origin. 513000 a bit more expensive than what you'd want for a guy um, that has put up the numbers that he has the last three seasons. Can you see any upside in him? Can you see last year's promise come through this year? Because that often happens, you know. We always think that this guy's going to be massive and sometimes it doesn't happen and then everyone jumps off and then the next year they have a big leap. Yeah, look, I mean, there's every chance that he could come out um, firing. I mean, that draw, um, you know, if they do start well, then the, the whole team will get some confidence and, and gel together well. I suppose that's a, a positive we could throw out there. Uh, look, I, I'm a huge fan of Brian Kelly for Supercoach. Um, it, it'll obviously take a lot for someone to throw 513k at a centre from the Titans into their side. Um, look, the stats were okay from last season, I guess, and with the favourable draw um, for a big chunk of the season, um, by coverage too. For me, he's not someone that'll be on my starting side, but again, um, like Campbell and Brimson, he's more someone that I'll work my way towards come round 10. Um, he's a player that I hope to turn one of my cheapies into, and I think he's a smart choice for the buy period. Um, like a lot of centres, he does struggle to produce the goods against the better defensive sides. Um, that's kind of stated in the obvious, but um, those games against Manly and Melbourne were quite poor last year, um, and that's when you need to think about depth in your centre wings, I guess. Um, I really do think he'll be one of the more popular choices in the centre wings when looking at pre-buy period trades, though. I think he'll be right up there, and I think it'll be a solid option as well. Yeah, he's currently like 0% owned. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, like he's he's not he's not really a, a starting player. Like he's not someone that you'd pick pre-season. Um and I'd be surprised if anyone does to be honest. Um but I've I've got a feeling that you know if he's going to be a little bit cheaper come round 10 and and if coaches do notice that um very favorable draw through the buy period, I think people will jump all over him to be honest. Yeah, I mean last year he had low scores of 20, 21 and 27. And I think that that was the opposite of what people expected from him. Like people always thought his base, base attack combo meant that he was going to have a really good four because his work rate was good. He had good tackle breaks, good offloads. So 
yeah, that was going to all mean that you weren't going to get those low scores, but you actually got a few of them, uh, and that was a bit disappointing. I think we should move on to our controversial chat here, and I think it was more polarizing last preseason. I don't think I'm going to get as much pushback this preseason. The big Tino just got named as captain. He was the flavor. He was the flavor of last preseason. Everyone loved him. It seemed like everyone loved him. I felt like a leper. I was the one of the few people walking around that really was quite worried about starting with him, and I, I was glad that I didn't in the end. Um, look, he's a good real-life player. I was actually, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I was actually at the, the pub this afternoon because I needed a break from work, and I, I was chatting to the bouncer there who listens to the, pod, the podcast, and um, if he's listening to this one, I'll give him a shout-out, but I see him up there pretty often, big NBA card collector too, so we get, always have a lot to chat about. And um, look, I was saying to you, it's it's pretty low key that Tino is one of the top forwards for you know errors and, and penalties. You know, or was was it errors? Yeah, errors and missed tackles, I should say, because errors including penalties. So you know, he had quite a few negative stats among forwards, and nobody was really mentioning that during the year. But his his actual statistics when you did did a deep dive into him were pretty bad in the negative side of things. So it's interesting he's been named as captain, but by all reports, you know, he's a good leader. So that's great for him. But when you're looking at his numbers, right, last in 2020, he had 57 points a game in only 46 minutes. Half the time he was coming off the bench and everyone was all over him thinking that he was going to get this massive uptick in points. And a few people did point out, not just me, that, you know, he had like seven tries and they were all off Cameron Smith and, he didn't really have a lot of base attack, so it was going to be a, a bit of an issue for him, and maybe he was going to be similar to what he was. Well, that 57 points a game in 2020 ended up being 56 points a game in 2021, despite getting 14 minutes extra a game. So in 60 minutes a game, 56 points. And I don't see anything that's going to suggest that he's going to be much better than that this year. Uh, and none of this to say, is to say, Andrew, that Tino is a bad player. Um, I even though he does make some errors, and I think that he probably should be called out a bit more for some of that. Um, and he doesn't really have much attack in his game. And we short, short, saw his tries go from seven to three last year. And again, Cameron Smith was who he's running off for the, all those seven tries. 56 points a game. Maybe he goes up to 58 points a game. You know, he's currently in 13% of teams, probably because he's a dual second row forward, front row forward. At almost 500,000, He's in way too many teams for me right now, and I at least it's not like thirty percent like it was last preseason. But I still think it's it's way too many for super coach purposes. I'm shocked that about that ownership. To be honest, um, like mate, the the Fastville Molly decision is doing my head in. Um, <laughs> I'm always convincing myself he's just too much of a headache to to bother throwing into my side. Uh, look, he he has that DPP, which is great. Um, look, he's only really high games, I suppose, were against terrible teams in the Bulldogs and Cowboys, which I guess you could argue that is up against a host of weak teams in the first two-thirds of the season anyway. Um, look, his minutes were fairly steady when playing at nine, um, around that 60 mark. Uh, if you look at those points from last season when playing at 13, um, I mean, it's worth risking, I guess, um, that he'll show some sort of improvement this season to create some sort of an upside. 
maybe like obviously I'm clutching here um trying to be positive he's, he's certainly not in my side obviously he, he won't uh, he won't even be considered um I guess another question is how the captaincy will affect this guy um the pro being that like you know will he benefit from being on the field a little bit more I guess um being a captain or or will step up a little bit more the downside being of course that we've seen how the captaincy can affect some players so um is it worth really taking the risk straight off the bat um he probably won't have like obviously you won't have buy round coverage due to origin. And at the end of the day, um, there are pros and cons to this bloke, but I'm not going to take that risk. Yeah. There's just no upside. Like. No, no. Is he going to get more minutes? And he already played 60 a game last year. Like if he's going to play 68 minutes or something. Yeah. Okay. You can start to talk yourself into it a little bit, but he's, he's really maxed out there at 60 minutes a game. I can't see how he's going to find that many extra minutes to make it worthwhile. No, that's right. And I mean, it's just one of those things where you're, you're kind of, um, you're kind of clutching there, aren't you? Like you're, you're hoping or finding reasons to, to pick him in your team. And I mean, I suppose the reason why I'm mentioning this too is because that percentage has, has kind of shocked me in a way. I'm kind of wondering why it's so high because um, he's not someone that I wouldn't even consider. Yeah, so, and he's very much um, a base guy. Like it's not like he's got a huge amount of offloads and tackle breaks and certainly not a huge amount of tries. You know, like it's... No, that's right. And as you said, the errors yeah, as well. I mean, so. When you have a look at his scores as well, like some people might look at some of them and, and say, you know, in, in round four last year, he scored 93 points and he had 71 in raw base in that game. Yeah, that's great. But he's got all of these games littered in his scores of, of really bad scoring. Like... The last round of the season, he played 60 minutes and he scored 40 points. The third last round, he played 66 minutes and scored 46 points. You know, and he's littered with these 40-point games throughout the season. You know, he's probably got more from the guys in his price range. Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess he's got more scores in the 40s than most other options around that price range that you would consider. So I'm pretty shocked that he's in 13% sides as well. He's always going to have the opportunity to improve, but he's going to have to improve things like his base attack and his clutch attack that we haven't really seen of him other than when he was maybe running off Cameron Smith and it was when he was coming off the bench for five out of his seven tries that year, I think it was. Mm. So I just don't see it. I I think he's a clear stay away. Controversially, I think that he got overrated as a real-life prospect, which isn't his fault. I still think he's a good NRL player, but I actually think that the hype got a little bit too big Maybe this will be good for him because maybe he'll go a little bit more on the low down this year and be able to improve and, and, and blossom a little bit without as much pressure. But then again, he got named captain today, so that's probably not going <laughs> to yeah. happen either. God, that kind of backfired, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, it's, let's, let's go into the mids and cheapies, okay, to finish off on the Titans. They've got a couple of guys that are a little bit interesting. Um, uh, some people are looking at Clark. Now, Clark is looking like the starting number nine, so... I get why people are looking at him. Uh, he played 44 minutes a game last year and he scored 34 points a game. So it's not particularly inspiring. Uh, the year prior, his PPM was about the same. The year before that, he, he only had one game. So don't just look at the stats and see a 1.5 PPM in 2017 and think that it was fantastic. It's not. They are going to start him. Um, it's going to be interesting what happens with Booth because he needs to be upgraded he looks like that he will eventually become the starting nine at some point. What do you make as Aaron Clark as a second hooker option? Obviously last year he didn't score well at all. Um, some people are looking at him because he's only 300,000. So maybe as a second hooker, he's okay. He's about 
it's about 40 more thousand starting Randall. So certainly some people are looking at it going, well, you know, I like Aaron Clark a bit more than what Randall will bring to the Knights, 300,000. I really don't see it, mate. I've, I've seen him in a, in a few sides here and there, Aaron Clark, and 300,000 is just way too much. If he was 200K, I think you can talk yourself into it, but his numbers don't really support it. His price point doesn't really support it, even though he's a mid-ranger that's starting at nine. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, I suppose at 300K too, um, I don't, believe there's a right or wrong answer here uh, when starting with Clark. He's, he's not for me, obviously. Um, he's, he's quite a vanilla player when you're looking at past season stats producing uh, 30 to 40 points each week. Um, that's what we're expecting, I suppose, um, unless he manages to snag attacking stats, which I guess we can't rule out. Um, but it's a certain, certainly a, a fairly Oh, I wouldn't say risky move. It's just um, almost a very um, vanilla move, I guess, to bring Clark into your team. Um, I much prefer the other options in the hooker position. Um, history tells us that he'll produce around, what, 0.7 points per minute at best, which um, for a 60 to 65-minute player isn't really that productive. Um, some could argue that they'll use him to be a, a slow burner. He'll, he'll give you what you pay for um, and give you that round 13 number if he hangs around that long, but um, uh, I'd be looking for a little bit more from that hooker position. Yeah, um, I think so as well. I, I think there's much better options. Mate, the next one is going to be a little bit controversial. We're going to finish on, off on both Fermor, and I'm going to say yeah, I think both Fermor is a really good uh, player. I, I like the look of him. There's a Again, shout out to some of the other podcasts because I like to listen to them all. It's a great community. You know, Supercoach Experience loves both Fermor. Uh, the Whisperer likes both Fermor a fair bit. Uh, there's ways it could work out. You know, he had nine games as a starting back row where he averaged 58 points a game. Uh, that's going to be a lot better than what his price point is at because he's coming off a year where he's averaged 46 a game in 64 minutes a game. So certainly, you know, he might be 12 points underpriced if you look at that. But that was when he was starting and he was playing bulk minutes. You know, six out of those eight starting games were 80 minutes. And then he had a couple that were like 62 and, and 70. So he was still playing bulk minutes. Now, David Fafida should be starting on one edge. And in fact, a lot of the time when Bo Fermor was starting, he was starting on an edge for Fafida to come off the bench and, and replace him. Other edge is going to be Proctor. I know that there was certainly some talk um, and it was suggested by some of the other podcasts that Proctor isn't the captain anymore. Maybe he gets benched. Um, even if that happens, he's going to come on and play on the edge and they're going to take off for feeder. No, they're not going to. They're going to take off both Fermor. So to me, if he's getting 80 minutes um, or even 70 plus or 65 plus, it might be a bit more of an option because he certainly showed some promise. He had some really good attack. I, I think that he certainly could mature with a few more games under his belt. But when you're having a look at a price point for him, it, it is a little bit awkward. He's 379,000. He's a dual center wing second rower, so that's great. You could throw him in at centre wing as a, as a back rower. But he's really going to be getting, you know, at least 60-plus minutes a game. And if you're going to have Proctor on the bench, I don't think he's going to get that. And if you're going to have him on the bench, there's no way he's going to get that. So I, I kind of don't really see it. Um, certainly if he's on the bench, he's a no-go. But even if he's starting, I'm not really sure how much upside there is because of that, that minutes cap that he's still going to have. Yeah, that's fair. And um, I mean, look, mate, you've, you've basically covered what I was going to say. I suppose the only difference for me would be, I suppose, I'd, give, I'd probably give more consideration to Fermor if he was starting um, as a centre wing in my super coach team. But um, I agree with everything else you've said for sure. I mean, that theory going around, I suppose, has some 
merit, but I, I guess the the fact that um, Proctor may not get that spot, the starting spot, now that Tino has been given the captaincy, I, I can totally see where that's coming from. But that's basically as far as it goes for me. I mean, the simple situation with Fillmore is if he's starting, then um, he's not a must-have by any means. He's certainly one to consider. Um, if he's on the bench, then you just wouldn't touch him plain and simple. He's obviously a great player. I'm actually quite a, a big fan of his. Um, I love the way he plays. I like his aggression as well. Um, but from a super coach point of view, he's he's not one for me at all. If he's named in the starting side, I, I would definitely give him some some sort of consideration, but I wouldn't just throw him in straight up into my center wings. Um, it'd definitely be a, a case of um, like, you know, what frame of mind I'm in, I suppose, when the super coach season starts. Yeah, I think TLT will sort it out for people. I think he'll be on the bench and that'll just make the decision for a lot of people. Well, that finishes off the Titans and the podcast, Andrew. So, Cowboy, thanks for jumping on, mate. Really love getting you on for the preseason podcast. And while the Points Per Minute podcast is on hiatus, giving you a chance to jump on and chat footy. Yeah, mate. No, thanks very much for having me on. Um, always love talking footy and, and super coach with you. Um, love the all-star podcast. And I will um, also wanted to say as well, like, you know, as you mentioned before, like we, we've got such a good podcast community, don't we? And, um, you know, we, we all like chatting um, about super coach in our private chats with other podcasts as well, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really a massive, like competitive community. Like we all kind of stick together, which is really good. So um, I, I love that part of it. So um you know, if we ever, if the listeners ever notice that we've got a strong um, opinion against uh, an opinion of another podcast, um, for example, former, obviously it's, it's nothing personal. We're just chatting footy, aren't we? And opinions and, and trying to show the pros and cons to the community. So, yeah. Yeah, all the other podcasts know all about it because we have private chats and stuff with them. And, and when we're giving it to them online and stuff, they know it's all in good spirits and stuff and, uh, and there's no harm. So always, always. always. And, we're, you know, every podcast is right 50% of the time, which means, you know, everyone's right at some point. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right, mate. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for jumping on, Cowboy. And for everyone else, you can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Definitely give us a follow on there. You get all the up date information and podcast episodes as they drop promo code for top sport sc all stars if you're going to create an account with top sport jump on use sc all stars i'll take great care of you thanks for listening to the preseason episode so far next week we'll have a brand new guest and a couple of more teams that we will preview until then play around with your teams have a lot of fun and we'll chat soon hey now you're an all-star get your game on go play hey now you're a rock star Get the show on, get